Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in the upstate of South Carolina. I am your host, as always, Stan McCune, realtor here in Greenville, and all of my contact information, as always, is in the show notes. If you need to reach me for any reason, for any of your real estate needs, or to talk about the pod, or whatever the case may be, just let me know. Reach out to me with that contact info in your show notes that you are looking at. And just a reminder, as always, please leave a rating, ideally a five-star rating. Please leave a review. Um, Those things help to get this podcast out to other people, so I appreciate if you guys can do that. Um, I This is a small podcast, relatively speaking, but I'm frequently amazed by the connections that I make through it, and a lot of that is because of the people that have taken just a few seconds of their time to leave a rating, to leave a review, so please do that. Please go ahead and subscribe and download episodes as well. Um, I think that most podcast apps out there allow you to automatically download episodes, so please go ahead and do that, and all of those things are great for the show and show me that you guys appreciate it. Today, we are going to be pulling back the curtain a little bit on a very uh, very specific aspect of negotiation. This is not something that you hear people talk about very often, which is why I think it, it could potentially be an interesting topic here. But it's an aspect of negotiation where you have to decide whether to let a deal go by the wayside or whether you want to actually try to hold the deal together. And here's the thing that a lot of people don't fully understand, particularly when selling a house. Um, It's not always the best move to keep a deal together. If a deal is falling apart, sometimes the best move is to let it go. You know, as that song from the Frozen movie that we've all heard a gazillion times, let it go, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to sing for you guys. Sometimes it's best to just let it go and, you know, let that transaction fall through, put the house back on the market, et cetera, et cetera. There are times when that's the case, but there are times when you need to push back and actually try to hold the deal together. The question is, when do you apply the different tactics? And I have some some thoughts here on that and, and the ways to handle that that I want to talk about today. Let me start by just kind of setting the stage here. Selling a house can be and pretty much always is extremely stressful. I mean, for me as a realtor, I do this as a career and it's stressful for me. Um, for people that only do it a handful of times in their in their lives, it can be particularly stressful. Now, in some cases, the people that, uh, you know, only do it a few times in their lives, it's not stressful because they have no idea what all is happening behind the scenes. But for a lot of people, it's an extremely stressful and extremely emotional time. And, um, and it's, it's stressful and it's emotional for buyers as well. And so sellers... Um, ultimately, they just want to get their house under contract. And buyers, they just want to find a house. But sometimes there are irrational decisions and irrational thought processes that happen when all of that stress and all of those emotions kind of come to a head. And for sellers, just getting a house under contract is, I don't want to say it's meaningless, but that you're, you're far from done. I mean, once you get the house under contract, you're not even done negotiating. 
there's still points of negotiation in a transaction that happen. Um, and and so the 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 seller, um, you know, sometimes we run into situations where you know a house has been on the market for a little while, and then an offer comes, and the offer might have some some very major red flags, but the seller just wants to get the house under contract. And then what often ends up happening is those red flags manifest themselves and they can cause the deal to fall apart. And oftentimes my gut, I've seen this over and over again, my gut has you know told me this is going to fall apart, this is going to fall apart. My seller client, still wants to go f- to move forward with it. We do and then it ends up falling apart pretty much all the time. My gut my gut is pretty is pretty accurate when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um and that's just there's a lot of things that have to happen for a transaction to get to closing. Now, this can be really hard to quantify and sometimes it can it can be difficult um almost impossible at arm's length for us to to figure it out. But one of the most important metrics that I want to try to figure out if I'm a listing agent, if I'm if I'm helping a client sell a house, one of the most important metrics that I'm looking for in determining whether a deal or a potential deal, potential transaction will get to closing is how much the buyer actually wants the house. And this is an extremely important point that many people don't consider as much as they should. A lot of people don't realize that a huge portion of the contracts that fall through do so not directly because of an unmet contingency, uh, but because the buyer simply didn't want the home that badly. The buyer decided, you know, got buyer's remorse, uh, decided that they didn't like this or didn't like that, decided that they weren't ready to move, all sorts of different things come into play and come into play there. And uh, this causes a lot of contracts to fall through. And, and it's definitely, even for a lot of the ones where it's not the primary reason the contract falls through, it's definitely often a secondary or a tertiary reason. It's a big part of it, a big reason why when people uh, are selling a house and, and they get it under contract and then it falls through, I'm telling you, a large portion a large, I would I would say a majority of the time is because the buyer simply has decided that they don't want that house anymore. And at that point, then the buyer is going to uh, to try to get out of the contract. And the buyer is probably going to be successful in getting out of the contract and getting their earnest money back because the odds are stacked in the buyer's favor here in the lovely state of South Carolina. It's just the way it works down here, unfortunately. Um, and what I've learned is that there is a time to allow the buyer out, as we've already said, and there's a time to try to hold the deal together. But ultimately, it all starts with trying to get the serious buyer at the very beginning, trying to get the house or the property, whatever, under contract with a buyer from the get-go that we feel confident actually wants the house. And so these tea leaves can be difficult to to read, but there are little tea leaves 
uh, that are left. I don't know. I don't know if I'm like mixing metaphors. I don't. I don't even know what reading tea leaves actually uh, where that even comes from. But let's just pretend like there are tea leaves that are are left by buyers, and it's my job to read them. That's what I attempt to do. Um, and and a, a lot of information is revealed during uh, initial negotiations, even if it's if I'm not talking to the buyer directly, if I'm just talking to the buyer's agent, there's a lot of little ways that you can read between the lines. And, you know, one of the things that we see a lot in this market is buyers trying to differentiate themselves with these love letters that express how much they love the house. But you know what? And, and sometimes those do work. Let's just be honest. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they backfire. Um, I've, I've seen both. Um, and we've talked about that in the past on, on this show. What is interesting, though, is when the love letter doesn't match the offer, right? It's like you, someone, they, they give you a letter that says, oh, we love this house. It's our dream home. We can see ourselves raising, our, raising two boys and a dog here. Um, and then they bring you an offer that is just terrible in every way. I have had that happen, by the way. I'm not just speaking in hypotheticals. I have had those situations happen where a love letter was presented. Um, this was a few years ago. I it, it, I sh- can't say it's all the time. Um, not Definitely not since the pandemic. This was a few years ago. Someone made a lowball offer on a house and with that lowball offer gave a love letter. It's just like, mm, no, you, you are not a serious buyer for this house. You, you have to consistent consistently uh, present your message. Your offer says you don't love the house. I don't care what your letter says, right? Um, and so um, at the end of the day, there are things that you can read in, in the offer. How strongly of an offer is it? Is it strong on the price? Is it strong on the, um, on the, the various contingencies, what they waive, what they don't waive? Uh, my conversation with the agent, you know, talking, getting a read on the situation from them. You know, when I'm representing a buyer, I will communicate to the listing agent. They really love this house. This is going to be, you know, and I will sell my clients on, you know, hey, they're going to be really easy to work with. I've worked with them in the past or I've known them for a really long time, blah, 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 all these different things um, in order to to not just sell the offer, because obviously my job, if I'm representing a buyer, is to sell the offer. But now it's important to also sell the buyer. Because a lot of agents, they don't realize that they're even thinking in this way. But instinctually, they know that the that they want that serious buyer, the buyer that that is in love with the house, the buyer that really wants the house, and that will actually get to closing. That is... Um, something instinctually that's happening in the background of any good agent's mind. And so those all come into play. Well, when I'm on the seller side, when I'm representing the, when I'm the listing agent representing the seller, um, I'm trying to reverse engineer that information as well. And I'm not going to give away all my secrets here, but you guys have an idea. There are things that I can identify in the offer, in my conversation with the agent, etc., that help me to determine. Okay, I feel like this is um, is a serious buyer. However, you know we're having a, a lot of multiple offer situations, uh, just a lot of different 
little twists and turns right at the beginning of of you know when a home goes on the market frequently um and so sometimes we will have situations where a buyer will come with a strong offer right after a house is listed but the seller wants to counter certain points of the offer or perhaps the seller has other offers and tells a potential buyer that they're not going to accept an offer until a certain deadline. What we're seeing in in this market, really sellers and buyers are amped up right now. And a lot of buyers in those situations will just back out. They'll just say, I don't want to mess with this. Maybe they're exhausted. They've, They've already messed with this multiple times and lost out. They'll just say, I don't want to to mess with this. I'm, I'm not going to get into a back and forth. This is my offer. Take it or leave it. If you're leaving it, if you're going to get into a multiple offer situation, I'm walking. And I always warn my clients, if, if, if I'm representing a seller client, I always warn them, if, if we do this, if we get an offer and then tell the buyer, hey, we're waiting uh you know, we're not going to accept this right away. We we want you to, you know, to submit this offer as part of a multiple offer, highest and best, and we'll answer, we'll respond to it in a couple of days. Um, I warn my clients that there is also, there is always a risk that that offer may go away. That buyer may walk, multiple buyers may walk, and that has happened multiple times. Um, and that's why I always make that warning. But you know what? When that happens, do you think that I, as the listing agent, am stressing out like, oh my gosh, I just caused my seller client to lose out on offers that he or she had? Do you think I feel that way? Let me tell you. The answer is no. Absolutely no. And I'm going to tell you why. I am actually relieved. Because think about it this way. I already already said before, in a real estate transaction, there are multiple points of negotiation. You've got to negotiate right at the beginning on the price and the terms and all of that. You've got to negotiate on the repairs. If an appraisal comes in low, you've got to negotiate on that. Then there are all sorts of other little details. Maybe there's furniture that you want to buy or this or that. Um, Maybe uh, there was something that they said was going to convey in the listing, but now the the seller is saying, um, oh, I don't want that to convey. Or maybe the buyer was under the impression that something conveyed in the listing when it wasn't listed that way. Um, and the buyer's confused and feels like he or she has a right to, you know, that freezer in the garage, for instance, when it was never listed that that freezer would convey. Different things like that. These are all points of negotiation, right? And so if the person is incapable of handling a negotiation on the front end, what do you think is going to happen during the transition, during the transaction rather, when there are more points of negotiation that take place? Are they just going to have a meltdown every single time my seller client doesn't just agree with the buyer on every single thing that the buyer wants? That is a really, really bad sign. If the buyer says right at the beginning, I don't want to negotiate, here's my offer, take it or leave it. Um, Listen, there are some times where that could make sense, but most of the time that's a really bad sign and that's a buyer that I personally would rather not deal with. Now, sometimes we're in in a desperate situation where we don't have any better options and maybe that's what we just have to accept. But particularly in this one situation, 
um, where we're where we're talking about, especially if the listing has not been on the market for very long, and y- you know we're just countering minor points or trying to do multiple offers, highest and best, all that type of stuff. You get the um, the buyer that that just won't do any sort of back and forth. You should, if they back out, you should be relieved. Okay, great. Now we know. We just got the one piece of information that's really, that's some of the hardest information to get, and that's that that buyer wasn't very serious. They were not in love with this house. That's crucial. That's extremely crucial. So all that to say, um, and, and oh, and, and I should mention this, right? Let's say that that we salvage that deal, right? I'm saying that we should let those buyers walk right away in that situation. But let's say that we don't. Let's say that we salvage it and end up going under contract. And then the contract ends up falling through. And it very, very likely will. You've now lost a lot of time. You may have lost money. You may have done repairs that now you know, a a ticky-tack inspector uh, pointed out, well, guess what? When the house, you know, has a new buyer that brings in a new inspector, that new inspector is going to be forced to find new things wrong with the house. Like it or not, the new inspector, he's getting paid to find things wrong with the house. He is going to find things wrong with the house. I promise you that. And so you're going to have to do more repairs again. Maybe some repairs that that inspector would not have noticed from the last inspection. A whole lot of different things. So it costs you time, it costs you money, and it may cost you on the marketability of the house. It depends on the house, it depends on the, on the conditions of the market. But needless to say, it's not usually a good idea, it's not usually a good thing uh, for the marketability of the house if it goes under contract and then comes back on the market. Oftentimes that's a, that's a really bad thing for the house. Um, in terms of its marketability, if it get if it goes under contract multiple times and falls through, that's a really really bad thing. You don't want that to happen. Um, and as I said before, ultimately, if a buyer wants out of a contract, he or she is going to get out of it. That is just the way it works, and they're probably going to get their earnest money back. What are you going to hold up? Uh, you know, if you're a seller, you're going to hold up your listing over giving the, the buyer his or her $3,000 back? Probably not. You've got a whole lot more money waiting to come to you when you sell your home than that three, you know, two, three, four thousand $4,000. So for most sellers, it just makes sense just to cut ties with that buyer that's looking to back out. That, that, it, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If they don't want the home and you've you've got multiple points of, of data indicating that, that's the situation that you find yourself in is that it may just be better to cut ties altogether. Um, however, there are times when the buyer actually does want the home but gets scared or turned off about something. And in these cases... The buyer isn't just trying to back out because they no longer want the home. Um, the buyer is has concerns and isn't sure that he or she wants to go through with the transaction 
even though he or she still likes the house, but has these concerns. And in these cases, this is when I'm trying to hold the deal together. This is when I want to try to keep the deal together because there is actually a chance. There's a chance that we can salvage the deal when the buyer still wants the house. Now, let me say this. The strategy that I employ or deploy or whatever the whatever the right word is, the strategy I use in in terms of how I approach this situation where the, the buyer is concerned, is is starting to have some buyer's remorse creep in. I have a different tactic a different approach that I use when I'm representing the buyer versus when I'm representing the seller. And again, understand that these are situations where I feel like the deal should be held together. Um, So there are some situations where uh, I'm representing a buyer and, you know, they get back an inspection report and it's shows, you know, termite damage throughout the house and all sorts of major issues. And the buyer wants to back out and the buyer absolutely should back out, right? There are those situations. But there are other situations where this house might be a unique house or this property might be unique. And I don't see another house like this coming back, coming on the market anytime soon. And the buyer is having buyer's remorse for irrational reasons, in my opinion. And I want to gently nudge them in the direction of rationale, of logic, versus irrational and illogic. Um, But I have to do that gently, right? Because at the end of the day, I want all of my buyer clients to sleep well at night. I I want them all to be thrilled with the house that they purchased and the home that they're going to live in or the investment property that that they're purchasing. I want them to be so excited and so thrilled about it. And it, it, really bothers me if they're just torn up about it, losing sleep at night, having issues, um, working through it and and working through their buyer's remorse. Um, so the way I have to handle that is basically just to ultimately present the information and just try to match the illogic with logic. And then if the buyer at the end of the day still cannot sleep at night, Listen, that is the test, right? If you can't sleep at night purchasing this property, then you probably shouldn't purchase it. On the flip side, if you wouldn't sleep at night losing the property, then you need to go hard and heavy in terms of your purchase and and go all in, right? In order to, to try to get that house. That sleep at night test is a really good test. And so I'm, I'm taking all this information into account. I'm taking the full situation into account in terms of what's my history with this client? What are they looking for? Have they been reasonable? Have we really narrowed this down? Do we, do we know for a fact that, that they know um, what they're looking for? Um, and there are some, you know, in most cases with, with my buyer clients, I get a profile on them pretty quickly. Like, you know, we might need to look at several properties, but once we start to look at a few properties, I get the sense, okay, this is what they want and this is what they don't want. Now, there are some, there have been some instances of clients that 
are kind of all over the map. And it's hard for me to to fully represent them and, and to to do it the best way possible because they're just they're not even totally sure what they're looking for. Um, but most of the time I'm able to get to the bottom of what my client's profile is and what they're actually looking for to purchase. And so if we've been looking for a while and I feel like I've found the house for them or perhaps they found the house, uh, you know, searching online or whatever, and it's perfect for them, I'm going to let them know that. And the issue may be that they're just not ready to buy. Maybe, maybe they're just not prepared to actually make the hard decision to make the move and it's we're never going to find something that's suitable for them because they're never going to they're always going to have buyer's remorse because it's not buyer's remorse about the property it's buyer's remorse about moving maybe it's a, an investor that is trying to purchase an investment property that checks off you know we find an investment property checks off all of their boxes but maybe it's you know unconventional in some way who knows maybe it needs $5,000 more repairs than we originally thought, but that is still well within the bounds of, of their criteria. Um, there's never going to be a perfect investment property. All of the investment properties that are good deals have something wrong with them. And if you back out or want to back out from a investment property purchase that I think checks off all your boxes and all of your criteria maybe you're just not ready to invest. Maybe you think you're an investor, but maybe you're just a tire kicker. Um, and those are those are some very basic examples. But in essence, if I think a buyer is making an irrational decision by having buyer's remorse or by not pulling the trigger on a property that I think is is exactly what they're looking for, then at the end of the day, I present my data on why I think they're making an irrational decision and we can discuss it, but they have to make the decision. Like I'm not going to force them to make a purchase that they're not comfortable with. However, I may very well fire them after this process. If they decide that they're not going to, to go through with the purchase and I had a strong conviction that this property was one that they should have purchased, there is a very good chance I'm going to fire them. And I've had to do that multiple times, particularly true with investor clients that um, that say that they're looking for this XYZ property. And then I find them XYZ property and they say, uh, no, it just needs a little bit more work than I was thinking. And it's like, yeah, that's what XYZ property is. It always needs a little bit of work. Um, and so... If we just disagree on the decision-making process and, and all of that, I, I just have to come to grips with, and my clients have to come to grips with the fact that I just can't do my job representing them if they don't know what they want or if they're not ready to make a move, to, to pull the trigger on, on something. Um, and as I said before, I'm pretty good at developing a profile for my buyer clients and at the end of the day, if I get them under contract with a property that I think is perfect for them, and then they back out for reasons that I don't think are rational, I I just don't see how I can help them at that point. I've done everything I can do to help them. Honestly, the way the real estate law is, is written, I could go after them for needing to pay me a commission in that situation. Absolutely. 
It, it, it's written in the buyer agency agreement. Read it for yourself. The way it's written, I can go after them for my commission. Now, have I ever done that? No, I've, I've never done that. Could I potentially do that? There are some situations where I might consider it. Um, but at the end of the day, that's how I have to approach it. The strongest that I will approach it with my buyer clients is to present the information, tell them that I think that this is, I don't think that you're going to find a better property than this. Or if you're, or we might be waiting months before you find a better property than this. And then if they disagree with me, then we may just have to decide to part ways at that point. Now, how does my strategy change to keep a deal together if I'm representing the seller? And this is more important, obviously. Um, so if I'm representing the seller, but getting the feeling that the buyer from the buyer's agent that the buyer wants to back out, it's it's obviously a different strategy. Why? Because I'm representing the seller. Like it's in the seller's best interest to sell the house, right? If it's if I'm representing the buyer and the buyer has buyer's remorse, it may not be in the buyer's best interest to purchase the house. But with the seller, it's a completely uh, it's a completely different scenario. And the simplest explanation for how I handle it differently is that I'm just more forceful. Um, and I take the bull by the horns more because I am trying to do what's best for my seller client. Whereas with my buyer client, I'm trying to guide them. I'm trying to, to guide them, but they have to walk down the path. Whereas if I'm talking to a buyer's agent, that's representing a buyer that has buyer's remorse, I'm I'm now trying to grab their hand and take them onto the path with me in order to, to save the deal for the purposes of my seller. Um, and I just had this very scenario happen uh, recently. I had um, actually first time in my career that I, that this has ever happened. I after an inspection report, that was an inspection was done on a listing that I had. Um, this is I say it just happened. This was a, a little while ago, but we had the inspection. Uh, the buyer had the inspection done. I was representing the seller as a listing agent. Inspection comes in, and it's just it's a long list of things. And I knew it was going to be a long list of things. This is an older house. Um, there was just there were things that I could see that needed to be done. But I had communicated to uh, to the buyer's agent, hey, just so you know, I'm expecting this inspection report to come back with a long list of things. And just so you know, my client has expressed to me and wants me to express to you that he or she is willing to do whatever items come back on the report that are needed to be done within reason. Within reason. Now... The backstory on this is the buyer had really expressed that they really wanted the house. They put down a lot of earnest money. Um, they made a very aggressive offer on multiple levels. Um, it, it was the kind of thing where we were never going to, I, I can assure you, we were not going to get a better offer than this if this house came on the market. So came went back on the market. So I'm feeling a sense of, of urgency from the very get-go with this transaction, that's like, okay, we need to get this to closing for the for the sake of my seller. Um, 
And and by the way, a common misconception people have, people think that that realtors play games to try to get prices up $5,000 here, $10,000 there. You don't realize how little that impacts our transaction. If we're doing that, if we're trying to drive a price up for the sake of our clients, it is for the sake of our clients. It's not for us. We don't benefit hardly at all monetarily by driving the price up. That That's lost, you know. Obviously, if you drive the price up $50,000 or $100,000 even, um, that's one thing. But driving the price up five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars that's neg- a negligible amount in terms of our commission. Um, and I, I've heard some people be, uh, you know, just not understand that aspect of, of the negotiation process. For the most part, it's not for us. For the most part, if we're going hard in a negotiation, it is strictly we're putting our neck on the line for our clients, trying to get them as much money as possible um, and and trying to help them the best way possible. Just putting that out there in case you were wondering. Um, So what was unique? What I said was this is the, well, this entire scenario is the first time that this has happened. But this one part, obviously, is not the first time this had happened to me. When they got the inspection report, rather than asking for repairs to be done, they just sent a release of contract. They just said, we want out. This inspection report was awful. We want out. And that was discouraging. Um, But I was encouraged by the offer that they originally made that I felt like they wanted the house. There were some other tea leaves that I had read there that made me think these people wanted the house. Um, and so, and, and again, it was like, it was, it was an incredible offer that I felt like we really needed to get to closing. And so I talked to my client and he was just like, yeah, we need to, um, we need to, to, do whatever it takes to to salvage the deal. I'm I'm willing to to get it done. And additionally, we had a little bit of negotiating power in that the way uh, our contract was structured, the seller couldn't. Sorry, the buyer couldn't just back out on the basis of the inspection. They needed to ask the seller to to do repairs. Um, and if they didn't. Because they had put forth so much earnest money, they, they put forth about 3% earnest money, which 1% is the standard in this market, 1% of the purchase price. They had put forth 3%, which was a pretty hefty amount. Um, they were, there was a pretty good chance that they would actually lose that earnest money. Um, and at the very least, it would be held up. And, and my client expressed that they were willing to fight for that earnest money. So we did have a little bit of negotiating power. But what was unique, I said it was the first time that I had had ever su- successfully done this before, was I actually saved that deal. Even though we got a release of contract, I was a, I called the agent up and I was just like, hey, listen. Well, actually, she didn't want to talk to me. Um, I reached out to her multiple times and was just like, hey, let's have a an agent-to-agent conversation about this. I think we can salvage this deal. She tried to avoid me for like, I don't know, 36 hours. Finally, she was willing to, to talk to me on the phone. I was like, hey, listen, I have a great contractor, a great team, people that we can knock this out. I've seen, I looked, I read through the entire inspection report. I was like, these are fixable things. We're not seeing a roof caving in. 
We're not seeing termite damage in the walls. The walls are about to collapse. We're not seeing, you know, major foundation issues. We're not, you know, we're not seeing mold in throughout the house that's just spreading and going to kill everyone that breathes it in. Like, these are correctable things. I have been in this situation. I have dealt with worse inspection reports than this, and I've gotten the deal closed. Let's do this. Let's knock it out. Let's let's work it out with your clients. My client is willing to, to get it all done. We'll do it above board. And your clients, they're, you know, I, I already knew some backstory that they had tried to get a few other houses and were just having a hard time because they had a home sale contingency and all sorts of things. And I, I reminded the agent that she was going to have a hard time finding them something else as well at that price point um, that they would be able to accept. And she was like, okay, I will present this to my clients. And she did. And they were willing to actually move forward and make repair requests. Now they made they, they they took advantage of the situation. Let's just I'll be completely honest. They did take advantage of the situation. Um, but I had again, I just had an open door of communication with with the seller. And the seller was like he was kind of playing with house money a little bit. Um, because uh because he already was getting more than what the house was listed for and whatnot, and honestly more than what the house is worth. Um and and so we were in a situation where it's like let's let's keep the buyer as happy as possible, get the same to closing, and we did. We got through it. It was a I, I earned my commission on that house. I earned my commission because I actually um, my client actually really leaned on me to to kind of spearhead um, the repairs and get all of that done. And there were a lot of twists and turns. Along the way, which I'm not going to reveal too much information here because this that that could be problematic on multiple multiple levels. Um, but there are a lot of twists and turns along the way. But we got it done. We were able to save the deal, and it was all because I perceived. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but the key point of it was I perceived that the buyer actually wanted the house, and because the buyer wanted the house, we were able to work out all those messy details on the back end. And so at the end of the day, assessing the buyer mindset is a hugely underrated part of the negotiation process. That is a major, major part of the negotiation process. Um, And that's something that I'm constantly doing as I'm talking to buyer agents, as I'm uh, going through the process of a transaction with a buyer agent, I'm constantly gathering information on on the buyer's mindset and where they are, what they're thinking. And then that information is what we use to determine when the poop hits the fan, how we're going to move forward with this. Should we just part ways with these guys? We would not want to deal with them anymore. Are they just going to be a big headache? Or should we try to salvage the deal, get it done, get to closing, and call it a day? That is it. For today's episode, I appreciate you guys listening. Again, reminder, rate, review, subscribe, download those four wonderful things to this show, Selling Greenville. That will help to get the show out to as many people as possible. I appreciate it. All of my contact information is in the show notes. Stay warm out there in the cold. We'll talk to you guys next week. 